This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AmbiCast, everyone. This week, I'm welcoming a first-time guest on the program, a longtime AMVA personality, a newer AMVA staff member, Patrick Fernan. Patrick, welcome to the AmbiCast. Thanks, Ian. It's great to be with you. So uh, for those who don't know, we're going to talk a little bit about Patrick's background and the work he's working on in our driver licensing area. Uh, but Patrick, you've joined the AMVA team what, about six months now? Not quite six months ago, yeah, mid-August, uh, coming from the Wisconsin DMV and very excited to be part of the AMVA team now. And in full transparency, for those who don't know how AMVA is structured, Patrick does report to me, and that's not the only reason he's saying it's exciting to work for AMVA now. <laughs> yeah, you got to suck up while you're on probation, right? Why not? Why not? Uh, but not new to AMVA. Your background in the DMV space and in Wisconsin and transportation um, has quite a history. Right. With uh, AMVA, I, I came to Wisconsin DMV in 2005. Um, I came over with Lynn Judd, who was in the AMVA board chair in, in 2010 and 11. Um, we both came over from the highway side of the Wisconsin Department of Transportation, and DMV is part of, of DOT as well. Um, and so when I came over in 2005, one of my first duties was to take on Real ID, which had just mm. been passed. Yeah. And my first AMVA group was a group that was thrown together pretty quickly um, on Real ID. So I remember flying out to, to the headquarters and having this meeting with people from across the nation. And it was it was really a fascinating experience. I was pretty nervous, though. I didn't didn't really know much about AMVA at the time. And so a quick 18 years later. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I imagine some of those people who were in that 2005 Real ID meeting are still involved and active in the AMVA community. Oh, yeah, I especially remember um, as the Oregon, he eventually became the Oregon DMV director, Tom McClellan, mm, and sure. he and I were on the, the international board together when I was the administrator from Wisconsin. Um, so it was it was a good introduction uh, for, from that, yes. And f- even from your early days on the DMV side, though I know you went on to wear many hats, your roots were on the driver licensing side of DMV. Exactly. When I came over... Um, I was the director of, of drivers in Wisconsin, and so that was the call center. It was um, withdrawals and citation recording, uh, uninsured motorists, CDL third-party auditors, uh, you know, uh, driver licensing generally, um, and then medical was a big part of that as well. So I really got immersed pretty quickly uh, in the DMV driver world. On the DMV side in Wisconsin, though, you then went on, you then served as Lynn Judd. A lot of folks remember Lynn. You were Lynn's deputy. Yep. And then when Lynn retired, you took the role as administrator in Wisconsin. Exactly. So I was uh, the deputy administrator from 2007 to 2013. And then when Lynn retired, I became the DMV administrator for Wisconsin uh, and was there from 13 to 16. Then I went over to FMCSA as the Midwest a regional director for a brief time and then had some life upheavals that made me return to Wisconsin and came back to DMV uh, working 
Christina Boardman was my deputy when I was the administrator. And then I came back when she was the administrator um, and became her deputy. Yeah, which is, kind of, you know, it's an interesting twist. And also in the fact that here, you know, we're talking the year where Christina is chair of the board. Um, those that listen to the podcast have heard Christina a couple of times. She was just on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you were even on the board for a short period of time while you were administrator in Wisconsin. I was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience being on the AMBA board. And I think um, I, if I would have stayed in DMV, I would have been the board chair in, I think, 17 or 18. Um, but, you know, to have the opportunity to, to be the number two to Lynn Judd and Christina Boardman uh, is, is an amazing experience. The, the jury's still out on my, my current uh, supervisor, but we'll yes, see how yeah. that goes. It's, it's, it's early. It's early. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, I've tried to get all the tr- tricks and tri- tips from Christina. Maybe right. I need to call Lynn and be like, What's, what else do I need to know? Right. <laughs> so a little less than six months, you're now the uh, director of driver licensing here here at AMVA. Let's talk a little bit about the work and the portfolio that we're working on in driver licensing. You know, let's start with, you know, you mentioned you started with Real ID, you know, yeah. and still we are here 18 years later, still supporting jurisdictions who are either uh, attempting to be compliant, preparing for enforcement. Uh, and it's led to uh, a number of conversations around reciprocity, interoperability, and ultimately the, the, the similarities between the driver license compact and the state-to-state service that was created to enable Real ID implementation. Right. Um, that's a big focus of your work right now. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in that space. Sure. So within the, the driver program, Jesse Ross, uh, who a lot of people would know has been the, the AMVA DLC coordinator. And uh, with state-to-states functionality able really to effectively accomplish the goals of DLC, a decision was made by the DLC membership and the state-to-state governance committee that that state-to-state would become a preferred method for accomplishing DLC. So right now we're in the midst of integrating the, the DLC governance and the state-to-state governance into one entity that will you know, promote efficiencies and, and really accomplish the goals of the DLC in, a, in a, an effective way. A lot of people know that the DLC was basically from the 90, 80s and 90s. And so you know, we're in a new world of technology and, and means to accomplish those ends. And so this hopefully will be a very smooth, uh, almost invisible um, transition but it'll end up being a great thing for, for both state-to-state and DLC. And for those who don't know, the DLC, the Driver License Compact, is essentially the compact that states, most states, have entered into uh, that allows them to acknowledge a conviction when their driver is convicted of a violation in another state. So that state convicts a driver of a moving violation of some sort, they can send that violation to the state that has the actual license for that person, and that state will put it on the record as if they had done it as that state. It's to allow to make sure that folks are held accountable when they break laws in other states while driving vehicles, essentially. Um, and like I said, most states are part of the compact. Even those that aren't often operate within the auspices of it. But when you talk about the technology that state-to-state offers that we didn't have beforehand, talk a little bit more about what has the process been like to do everything the compact that I just laid out versus what the future could hold leveraging state-to-state. Right. I mean, when you boil it down to, you you talk about the difference between mail and real-time electronic submissions, right? That 
that there are that there are many many jurisdictions, perhaps most, still mailing withdrawals or or other information from one state to another, and that's a manual operation that's obviously tremendously inefficient and also unfortunately, you know, can can lead to errors. And so mm-hmm. with state to state, this is a real time. We we think we have about sixty one percent of the United States is is a current state to state member, and in the next two or three years, we're going to get um, up over eighty percent. Um, as, as states join. And so the idea of this real-time electronic transmission um, that goes right to the record and there, there's not mistakes, there's not delays, which has been a, you know, a, a big issue um, in a number of areas with crashes where somebody should have been out of service or should have been withdrawn or, or um, that that's going to be a, a, hopefully a thing of the past for the most part. So it's yeah. it's the speed and accuracy and and removing that human intervention to some extent um, that's going to be the big powerful tool going forward. And those that have listened to past episodes will remember we've had in fact Christina has been on past episodes along with some others talking about the driver history record function in state to state that allows the exact functionality that Patrick is is talking about. But when we talk about the integration of the two, um, it comes from a recognition that those that were operating and overseeing driver's license compact are by large the same agencies that operate state to state in their jurisdiction because it is the U.S. licensing agency. And that's where the opportunity for integration really presents itself in terms of governance. Exactly. And well, Wisconsin is, is a great example because Wisconsin was one of the, I think it was the first state to go live with state to state, um, does not belong to, to the DLC, to the driver's license compact. Um, but that hasn't prevented Wisconsin from doing everything associated with the DLC and recognizing state to state as, as a great tool to accomplish that. And so even though there, I think there's five jurisdictions left um, that aren't members of DLC, uh, that, that the integration, it, it really doesn't matter if you are a member um, or not in terms of what will be accomplished because everybody's going for the same thing, one driver, one record, and, and to make sure that we impose whatever sanctions that a person ha- has earned, to use mm-hmm. that term, as a result of their poor driving behavior. And so you mentioned the driver license uh, compact membership has voted to move forward. State state governance committees move forward. The MVA board has endorsed this direction, uh, and we're heading in that direction. What's the timeline of some of this? These integration steps. What can members expect to see over the next months, year? What's what is does that look like? And what should they expect? Sure. So right now we're we're working um, um, on some charter changes to the state to state that would allow the the integration that will need approval from um, the state to state governance board, the AMVA board of directors, and then ultimate. So that'll occur in April for the state to state governance board, uh, in May for the AMVA board of directors. And then at the September AIC, the DLC membership meeting will occur where they will approve it as well. The ultimate goal is to have this integration done and complete by um, January 1st of 2024. We'll also be creating um, a a new financial structure. Um, There's dues that have been not collected for a couple years and there's money in the DLC account. And so we'll be working out the mechanism for um, dealing with the money and whatever added expenses might hit state to state as a result of the integration of DLC. We also wanna make sure that we communicate effectively with the jurisdictions and with stakeholders that 
you know, rely on state to state or, um, you know, the, the DLC. So we want to make sure everybody knows that while things are changing, they're getting better um, and that people don't have to worry about some uh, dilution of the efforts of DLC or state to state as a result. And then once we, we have that integration completed, then we'll, um, you know, sort of go in with some best practices with some changes to processes as we go along. But the big pieces are the, the charter approvals and the communication strategy and then the financial structure. Right, right. So let's let's shift to another uh, big priority. I've had uh, Jeff Oberdank and some others on here uh, over the past year talking about our efforts to modernize the CDL test platform, the particularly the you know the skills test, the pre-trip inspection, all the piece that's being modernized. We've talked about what that means and how that focuses on critical safety skills. Give us a little an update. It's been a few months since I've had Jeff or anyone else on to talk about where we are in CDL test modernization. So let's update our listeners to where we are on that in that project. Yeah, January, February, March are, are bringing a lot uh, to that CDL modernization. So we had a, 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 a call, if you will, with a couple hundred people on it back in September, sort of talking about that we're moving forward with CDL modernization. As you said, it's the uh, inspection and the basic uh, skills. The idea behind all of it was to um, streamline a bit, to eliminate steps that maybe weren't necessary, to create the opportunity to have actually two testing um, courses on what's one, the footprint of what is one course today to allow states, uh, if they wish, to conduct more tests. And so tons of work was done. FMCSA was involved. Um, got approval and moving forward, the the three pilot states, uh, New Hampshire, Virginia, and Maryland. Um, and now we are, we've just filmed uh, two weeks ago, the new training materials and putting those together. We've got the new um, knowledge books, if you will, but they're all online for students and instructors. Those are prepared for the new test. And we're uh, having our first train the trainer sessions uh, at the end of February, beginning of March, and we're going to have, along with the three pilot states, we're adding 28 more states that want mm-hmm. to start offering the CDL modernized in 2024 with the hope of having another class um, for brand new trainers in late spring, early summer. And then if there's demand for more states that want to go to the modernized test in late 24 or 25 to do more three-day sessions in the late summer, early fall. Um, what all of that means is that we are moving forward and we will have, uh, you know, more 31 states plus the Air Force um, will be offering this modernized test. And I think one key thing to remember is that states can offer the current version, they can offer the modernized version, or they can offer both. So you don't have to have a, a flip a switch and you go from one to the other. You can have a rollout that allows for whatever the jurisdiction's needs are and communication plans are and training uh, plans are that that gives them that flexibility to choose the path forward for them that works best. And we have the capacity, it sounds like over the next 12 months, that anyone that wants to receive the training to introduce the modernized test will have the ability to get them through that program so that by the end of this year, 2023, any state that wants to offer it will be able to offer it. Yes, we, we did a survey of all jurisdictions uh, in September, 
And there were a few handful of states that really didn't have plans to go modernized in the next three or four years. But we had, as we said, about 30 states wanted to go now. And then we had the most of the remainder thinking 24 or 25 was their timeline. And so, yes, I think anybody who wants, when a state wants to go, uh, we will be ready for them to get them trained so they can move at, at their speed. So, and in that sense, the feedback you've heard from states, is it fair to say it's more of a when, not an if? We've not heard from states saying this doesn't work for us. It's not interesting. It's been more about how do I fit this into a long list of priorities that I'm jumping right. Exactly. I think, you know, for the states that are 100% or nearly 100% uh, third-party CDL testing, that the, the working with their third parties to get those people trained is, is a step that they'll need to work with. And then there's the footprint and the course, um, and then some IT changes. And, and But I think I think everybody understands the, the benefits of the modernized test, which is it's slightly shorter. You can get an extra course on the footprint. Um, and what we're hoping to see is uh, effective. I think it's six days from now, the federal requirement for the um, CDL learner's permit, if you will, will go into effect for everybody. And so the modernized test plus the need to have had that learner's permit, if you will, um, is going to result in a higher pass rate, I think, and even further push down that backlog that some states experience in getting people into test. Mm, great. So, and then also in the CDL space, which is uh, exciting, we're finally going to be able to host another in-person CDL coordinators meeting that we've not been able to do for, for a few years. Right. Uh, it's going to be, exactly, we haven't been able to do it for a while. It's going to be um, in Houston, it is the week of May 15th in Houston, and we'll have more information uh, about that coming out in the near future. We're right now working on getting those 28 states set up for the, the, the three-day, two three-day train-the-trainer sessions mm -hmm. in Corpus Christi, and then we'll turn our attention um, to getting that uh, CDL coordinators meeting in Houston information out to everybody. That's a big deal, 400 or so people. Um, we have support from FMCSA for for roughly four people per jurisdiction wow. to attend. Usually it's an IT person and then somebody who runs the, the program and, and a couple others. So uh, that'll be exciting to get people together again for that. It's been, as you said, a long yeah. time. So that, you know, that's a lot of what's going on in the, in the commercial space. As we, you know, look at the driver testing and the preparation for new drivers on the, on the non-commercial side, I know our, uh, test maintenance subcommittee and our IDEC board have been active in conversations in terms of what might be coming next. There was just recently a new update to the drivers model drivers manual that states can use to help prepare new drivers. Uh, and give us a little preview about what some of those discussions have been pointing to as to what the, the next evolution in that space may be focused on. Right. So, um, so Denise Hanschlack, uh, who's part of the driver team, works with the um, IDEC really closely, and then the TMS, uh, as you said, work closely on updating materials, both CDL and and regular or whatever term you'd like to use. And so we, we uh, met in the fall, and then we have another meeting that we're just setting up now for late April. Uh, one of the most interesting things is talking about how the um, adaptive equipment, so the lane change, the rear uh, backing camera, all those things, how they will impact um, the testing of a, of a novice driver. And so we're, we're meeting on that to, to, again, in the spring to get a little more 
depth on that. It, it would have been, you know, three years ago, the idea that somebody would have a camera that they used while they're backing up was kind of like shocking. And some states actually said, you can't, you have to turn it off. You can't use it. And now, you know, as it's standard equipment, um, we want people to be able to use those cameras effectively because it's an important tool. Now, it's not instead of turning your head, right? Sure. It's not instead of using your mirrors, but it's it's in addition to- incorporated into the driving task. Exactly, exactly. And so um, that's one of the things that we'll be working on as we come out with, with guidance to, to help states move forward there. And there's a, a lot of um, interesting things going on in the space for, for driving testing. We just had a webinar with uh, Georgia and Tennessee talking about um, their remote uh, testing where they have cameras in the mm. car uh, and the, you know, all of this coming out of, of uh, COVID, of course, where you want to avoid exposure for both of the, the, your examiner and the person being tested to the extent practicable. But you discover there's efficiencies and and you can you can do a lot of different things and still effectively um, assess that driver's ability to operate safely. So t- tell me a little bit more about that, especially for those listening that maybe couldn't attend the webinar. You have rather than the traditional model of an examiner getting in the passenger seat with a driver applicant, they are not going into the vehicle and they're either watching from outside the vehicle or they're maybe in an office somewhere else watching it all on a camera feed. Right. I mean, there, there's there's lots of flavors of this. So I think both Georgia and Tennessee, they have their examiner doing the pre-trip inspection, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, you know, going around, do the brake lights work, do the headlights work, does the horn work, all that stuff. But then the the driver goes out with the licensed driver, their parent or guardian or whomever, and we have cameras in there. And depending on the state, I think Alaska actually did this a few years ago, and I think a couple other states have tried versions of it. Um, you, you would have them, they'd have the instructions, uh, you'd have a camera showing that the, uh, an audio showing that the person sitting with the the person being tested isn't coaching them. Um, they would say turn left in a block, but they wouldn't say, "Oops, watch out for the car up ahead" or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that you know uh, sometimes it's just graded in real time with the examiner there, and they give the feedback. But the potential is that you could tell the people, and I think one state did this. Um, you would have somebody whose job would be, you know, at the end of the day, they'd spend four hours reviewing twenty driving tests. And then they'd shoot the people the result via email, um, and and then they could come back the next day or however the the system works. So um, there's a lot of opportunity for efficiencies, um, but it's it's still relatively new, and the cameras and and all those things is is interesting. So that webinar webinar was attended by more than a hundred people listening to that Georgia and Tennessee experience, and I think uh, for the Region One conference they'll be presenting again uh, on that. Uh, at that time. Probably Region 2 if it's Georgia and Tennessee. Region 2. That's one of the things coming to Amva I'm excited about is I only ever went to the Region 3 so I've never been to Regions 1, 2, or 4 so I'm very excited about that. I do actually know where they are. (laughs) We'll get you the map. Region 2 for that. (laughs) So um, what what else? As you've come in here nearly six months in, um, I know those are the big things that are taking a lot of your focus, but where are some other areas that are moving in the driver licensing space that maybe is in the works or is upcoming that maybe we'd want to give the members a heads up to? Sure. Well, Paul Steyer, who's uh, AMVA's vehicle programs director, Mm -hmm. uh, just had a meeting on autonomous and connected vehicles. 
and we are sort of reinvigorating the driver subcommittee portion of that. And so Denise and I attended that, and and that was just fascinating. Um, we actually got to ride in uh, one of the cruise mm. automobiles that is driven in the streets of San Francisco autonomously. This was your uh, first was time in one, I believe, right? It really was, and and it was it was great. I mean. The, there's so much to work out, obviously, and, and California and, and some other states are are leaders, and and there's lots of um, there's lots of issues to be resolved. But the I, I just think of the the benefits that can come from that. From you have a, a, an elderly person who can stay in their home as opposed to having to go to assisted living because there's a vehicle that will come and pick them up and take them to the doctor's appointment and the grocery store and the pharmacy and then bring them home again. Uh, or, you know, just somebody who likes to party and they are going to get drunk at the bar, but now they have a car that can drive them home instead of them operating unsafely. Uh, so everything needs to be worked out, but the, the, it's just such a interesting potential for saving lives, um, through the use of, of this technology. And so, did, but since it was your first time in one, I'm curious yes. as to your, you know, what that experience was like as someone who had never, never done it before. I've heard others talk about it and I don't want to lead you one way or the other, but because I have heard others talk about it, I'm curious as to what your first impressions were and where your comfort level is at. Right. Well, so I think it's changing in San Francisco. When we were there during the day, there has to be somebody sitting in the driver's seat um, able to take control. So we were in the back seat um, and, and there was somebody sitting in the driver's seat, but, but it was being driven you know, by the computer, if you will. At night, and now I think it's going 24-7, there doesn't need to be an operator in the car. Um, so it was very interesting with this car. And, and one of my one of the most interesting things, we came to a four-way stop and our car got there second, but the person who had got there first was waving us to go through because there was a driver sitting there. And then the car, of course, is not going through because it's not the car's turn. And the operator said the, the most common feedback he gets is people get a little upset because the car follows all safety rules. So it is going to go the speed limit. It is going to use its turn signal. Um, but I didn't feel unsafe at all. We had somebody come out into the street in front of us, the car stopped. We actually had a car come at us going the wrong way down the street and the car stopped. Um, so I, I was really impressed with how it was. And we got to see a, um, a version of the, the new um, vehicle they're building that is basically three seats on each side facing each other. And there is no cockpit. There's no steering wheel. There's no driver. Just a control um, panel and, to punch you in where you want to go. Exactly. And and basically that'll be like a, um, it can be like a shared vehicle where it stops and picks you up. You know, you got four other strangers in there, it drops you off at the dentist office. It takes you home from the airport, whatever it is. Um, so I, I thought it was really, it's really an exciting time. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, well, I appreciate you spending time chatting about the driver program for folks that want to get to know you a little bit more. One thing, you know, we've talked about Christina, we've talked about the AIC, you are a Wisconsin native yourself. I am. I, I, we're having the AIC in September in Madison. I've lived here my whole life. And so hit me up. I'm going to prepare a list of the places that are walking distance from the event hotels, um, that are in, that are maybe a little more secret, uh, and funky and fun. Oh. So you can, anybody feel free to hit me up and I'll shoot you my cheat sheet of Madison nightlife 
Patrick's preferred places. I'm trying to do alliteration pubs. here. Patrick's preferred pubs. <laughs> yeah, but it would be restaurants. There's a great uh, video arcade pinball place that's in walking distance. There's a, a German place where you can do boots of beer. And there's I'll train you how to do that. If, if you're the last person, the person after you, after you finishes the beer, you have to buy the next round. So you never want that to happen. You always <laughs> want to finish it. Uh, but there's so much to do. Madison is just a fantastic city. You're, it's right on the Capitol Square, so you'll be able to, you know, you're a block from the Capitol. And then right, there's an eight-block stretch that goes down to the campus called State Street mm -hmm. that has like 40 bars and 20 restaurants and funky stores. Uh, so I think people will absolutely fall in love with Madison, and it'll be the perfect time of year to be yeah, there. Looking forward to it. Well, again, Patrick, thanks for spending some time with me today, introducing yourself more to the AMVA community. Many of you know you from your years with Wisconsin, but as you say, having only been to a region three, perhaps now we'll, you know, get some more calls from folks all around North America. Right. And, and we're here to serve our members. And so hit me up anytime about anything and we'll Wonderful. help. Well, thanks to you. Thanks everyone for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.